Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service. Our confession of faith this morning from the Lord, larger catechism. I'll read the question and let's all respond together. Question 51. What was the estate of Christ's exaltation? The estate of Christ's exaltation comprehends his resurrection, ascension, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and is coming again to judge the world. You ready for this long one? All right. Question 52. How was Christ exalted in his resurrection? Christ was exalted in his resurrection in that not having seen corruption and death, of which it was not possible for him to be held, and having the very same body in which he suffered, with the essential properties thereof, but without mortality and other common infirmities belonging to this life, really united to his soul, he rose again from the dead the third day by his own power, whereby he declared himself to be the Son of God, to have satisfied divine justice, to have vanquished death and him that had the power of it, and to be Lord of quick and the dead, all which he did as a public person, the head of his church, for their justification, quickening and grace, support against enemies, and to assure them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. That was worth reading all of that. I hope it encourages you as it encourages me. Let's pray together this prayer, which is printed before you in the bulletin, our corporate confession of sin. Lord, you are a God who keeps promises. In our prayers and songs, we say that we want to be Christians, but then forget our promises. Our actions do not match up with our words. We say mean things to other people. We hurt their feelings. We think of ourselves first. And worst of all, we ignore you. Lord, forgive us and hear our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen. And that prayer is written especially with children in mind. I hope you noticed that, the simplicity of the words. But we adults need that too to come to the Lord as children, confessing to him. But then we have this wonderful assurance of pardon, this promise from God. We don't always keep our promises. We need forgiveness for that. But Jesus keeps his promises. Isaiah 53. He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even as this humbles us, it encourages us to look up and see that the God who is our judge is also our Savior. So look to him and trust in him. At this time, we're going to receive our offering. So I'm going to pray and then those who are helping can come on up. Lord, thank you that we can worship you and come. I pray that you would help us as we give, that this would be a time of worship and that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
ask you to turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Uh, and as you're getting there, uh, first, uh, Christy, our office manager, wanted me to remind everyone that as we're switching over the website domain to graceprez.church, you may want to make sure that the emails that you get on Friday, sometimes when you change things over, emails want to do a good job of keeping uh, spam and junk email away, but sometimes they do such a good job that they keep away the things that we really want. So just check your junk folder or check that in the, your contacts. You can switch that email address over as we're getting there. And then if you saw out on the sign, in a few weeks we're going to be having a trunk or treat booth at Nightingale Farm. And looking forward to that, and uh, some of you have already expressed interest in helping staff that table, but it'll be from 4 to 7 p.m. on October 19th. That's a Wednesday. The kids, public school, get out early, and they said be prepared for 500, 500 kids, and hopefully some parents too, so we may even make like a special bag for parents. They might appreciate that. But I'm excited to, to finally get this going where Sarah... We, uh, we've been trying to get this thing going for a while, and we just kept missing it, and then COVID happened, and things got delayed a little bit, but that's going to be a good time in a few weeks. So I joked with Pastor Jerry this morning. I said, I thought about just reading all of Hebrews because it is a sermon, and he said, uh, maybe you don't want to do that. No, he wouldn't mind whatever I wanted to do, but... As I thought about what I was going to preach today, and as we've been in Hebrews, and some of the stuff is pretty heavy, and some of the stuff is, is kind of hard to wrap our minds around, but it's God's word, and it's worth studying, and I hope that you've been enriched by it. I certainly have. But I thought about what I could preach, and I thought, why don't we look at a passage that is a narrative, and Jesus working and Jesus speaking and Jesus interacting with people. And this is the one that I prayed about and chose. And you'll see as we read it, some connection with Moses and some connection with the priesthood. Some of the ideas that Pastor Jerry has been covering as we've gone through Hebrews. So there's some connections there. But I thought as we have a break this week from Hebrews... Let's look at a narrative together and see Jesus work. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll get back into Hebrews and see what God has for us there. So let me read for us from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. 
Let's pray once again for God's help as we get into his word this morning. Holy Spirit, this is the word that you inspired. Lord, these are true events. And Jesus, you interacted with this man. You, you had a plan for him. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our lives to what you would accomplish in us through your word and that your kingdom would continue to go forth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you notice, this passage is a lot about cleansing. Cleansing. We're going to get into all what that means. But as I thought about cleansing, I thought back to seventh grade and a Friday night, and my mom was taking me to a birthday party, some friends from school. And I remember talking with my mom, we're, we're approaching the stoplight, and she said to me, did you brush your teeth before you left? And I said, no. And she said, well, we got to turn around. And I was mad because I was excited to get to the party on time. It was limited time. But we turned around. Thankfully, we weren't too far away. But she knew, and a lot of parents know, that cleansing is a big deal. Teeth clean, keeping your body clean, all these things. Cleansing is kind of a big deal in our culture. We hear a lot about juice cleanses. We hear about uh, cleansing our social media feed. We talk about spring cleaning or fall cleaning. We were doing some cleaning this week when our basement flooded a little bit. Thankfully, everything was okay. And, and uh, you know, it's happened a few times now, so there wasn't much left to, uh, to get wet. But we were okay. But cleansing is on our minds a lot. And cleansing is on our Lord's mind, as we'll see in this passage. But here's the main idea, what I want us to think about this morning is this. Jesus cleansed the leper, and we can trust him, and we can trust that he will cleanse us. Because Jesus cleansed the leper, we can trust him that he will cleanse us. You may say to yourself, well, I brushed my teeth this morning. I took a shower this morning or last night. Why do I need to be cleansed? Well, we'll, we'll get to it, but we're going to cover this in four, kind of four movements in the passage. The first is the leper coming to Jesus. The second is Jesus' response. The third is Jesus' warning. And then fourth is the man's response. So we're going to cover those ideas this morning. So first, we see a leper comes to Jesus. Verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring and kneeling, said to him, if you will... You can make me clean. Now, leprosy existed back then, and it, it actually exists still today. Not very common here in the United States, but in other parts of the world, this is still a major problem. It's a chronic skin disease. It often has to do with, with scaly skin, and um, it's not a pleasant thing to have. We'll say that, but... For, for the Israelite in this period of time, 
it wasn't just a skin blemish that was unpleasant. Yes, it was, but it was so much more in that time because it was a sign of being spiritually unclean. When you think back to the Old Testament and the Mosaic Law, there are whole chapters devoted to cleanliness, not only with your skin, but with your house. This is covered, if you want to look it up later, Leviticus 13, 49, and then Leviticus 14, 2 through 4, where these sections are spoken, of, spoken about, about leprosy. But it's this, this skin disease that would separate you in very many ways. As I said, it separated you spiritually from coming near to worship God. If you had leprosy, if the priest checked you out and, and saw that you had this disease, you were not allowed to come near. In fact, you had to stay far away from the community. And even in your day-to-day -day life, you couldn't come near to people. It was almost like you were a corpse is the way that the scholars and the Bible speaks about it. That even though you were alive, you were like a dead person that no one wanted to touch. No one could touch or else risk being spiritually unclean as well. But you're separated from even your family. Uh, one of the scholars said most likely you would maybe have someone bring the food out to you and you couldn't even really converse with them because even greeting someone was akin to embracing them. So think of the isolation that this man, we don't know his name, experienced. But he comes to him and imploring him, he, he's begging him and he's on his knees. He has this posture of humility before Jesus and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Humility in the sense that he, he recognizes that it is up to Jesus. He had no explicit promise from God that he could depend on that his leprosy would be healed. Many times leprosy went unhealed. There were times in the Old Testament, we know the story of uh, Naaman, the Syrian who was healed, and we know of some others, but it was fairly infrequent. But this man comes to Jesus and he says, if you will, if you want to do this, you can cleanse me. And this cleansing implies two changes of his state or his condition is what the scholars tell us. One, the healing of the disease. And then two, the making of a person ritually pure or acceptable. So this is what he needed. He needed physical healing, but he also needed to be completely restored to God, to the worshiping community, and even to uh, his very own family. And in a similar way, and, and when we think about the cleansing that we need, none of us here, as far as I know, have, has leprosy. But there's a condition that, all, that we all have before God. And it's our separation from God. Another word for it is sin. 
Think of the ways that, that sin separates us. I read this, word, this verse this week, Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. We see that in a very vivid way, someone who whispers, someone who gossips. This is what sin does. It, it separates people. It separates people by ruining trust. Certainly physically, uh, we know that when sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die physically in that moment by God's mercy, but God said that their days were numbered. From dust you were made to dust you will return. So at whatever level of health we are experiencing right now, we know that one day, unless Jesus comes back, our bodies will decay. <clears throat> our bodies will suffer disease and uh, we will die. We will no longer live. So this is one of the effects of sin. But then spiritually, and this is what impacts us most of all in our relationship with God. Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I don't know if you saw the recent study that came out from Ligonier. I'm sure Ken Abbott could tell you all about it. But I've, I've been seeing it pop up on social media. So every two years, Ligonier Ministries, the, the ministry of uh, the late R.C. Sproul, they conduct a spiritual survey of what people believe. And they like to highlight certain things. And one of them, sadly, was this. Uh, the question was, do you believe that we are basically good? Or do you believe that we are born spiritually good? And of the people that they surveyed, this wasn't just anybody on the street that you would meet. I think that they are interviewing self-professed evangelicals. 65% believe that they were basically good. I don't know what you believe about yourself. I mean, I look out at you, and you, you are nice people. I know many of you. I, I talk with you in the hallways. We, we have lunches together. We, we see each other. But when we think of ourselves before God and our relationship with him, we need to humbly accept what God says about us. We need to humbly accept the prescription and the diagnosis that has been given. Yes, we were created good and upright, but we chose to sin. We chose to separate ourselves from God. We chose to say, I want the good life. I want health my way. I'm going to do it my way. And that was the choice that separated us from God. That was the first sin. And ever since then, it is our iniquities, our sins that have separated us from him. And it's what also separates us from others with lies and gossip. And even our bodies are affected by this. So there are parallels here, and I want you to see you, know, you, you may not be a, a physical leper, but we are all spiritual lepers.
before God in need of cleansing. So this man was humble, and thankfully he came to the right person. The man believes Jesus can heal him, but he surrenders to his will. So how will, the, how will Jesus answer the request? Will he ignore him? Will he disdain him? Will he offer nice words but no power? This is a situation that we sometimes find ourselves in. Someone is asking for help. Sometimes we have the power and the ability to help. Sometimes we don't. And if we're honest with ourselves, often we miss those opportunities to relieve someone of their suffering. But how does Jesus respond? Verses 41 and 42. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Stop right there for a moment. He felt it. His heart went out to him. He had pity on his situation. Jesus knew that he had been separated. He knew that he had been outside of the community for probably a very long time. And he touched him. We don't know how long it was since somebody touched him. But Jesus, moved by love and compassion and mercy, reached out and touched him. And I wonder if any of you today are in need of a touch from Jesus, his mercy, his love. You wonder, does he even care about me? You might even think to yourself, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm still struggling. I'm in one of those desolate places that is described later on in the passage. The answer to the man's request is yes. He reaches out and touches him, and he says, I will be clean. What, what more positive response could you ever hope for? Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I will be clean. Not just cleanse with water, but his body. And not just his body, but restoration to the community. Restoration to be able to come near and worship God. Restoration to enjoy relationship with others. Isn't it what was so jarring and disorienting about the pandemic, about being separated from so many people, uh, many people alone, and Jesus has compassion for you and me, those who have experienced that situation, but we probably haven't experienced it like this man did, his isolation. Jesus touches him. He says, I will be clean. And immediately, if you, read, if you read the Gospel of Mark, you know that he likes that word immediately. Jesus is doing this. Immediately he's doing that. He's a man of action. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And again, when it comes to, to us in our relationship with God, we have the scriptures we have his promises. I read one from Isaiah. 
I guess he would have had that. But we have the New Testament now. You can read it. And you can see for yourself the promises that Jesus makes to you and to me. And the moment that you believe, these promises are given so that you would be healed. These promises are given so that you would know that your relationship with God is restored when you look to Jesus in faith. And even when we think about baptism, we see it as a visible promise. We, we see it and experience it as a promise of God that we can touch and feel. That just as surely as that water has been placed on us or we've been put under the water, we should be assured from the word of God that we are forgiven, that we have been cleansed. So Jesus has the power to heal, and he uses it. He has pity on the leper, and he has pity on you and me as helpless sinners. We have this spiritual condition, this spiritual leprosy that we cannot heal ourselves just as that man could not heal himself. We're depending upon Jesus. And how do we know that we're cleansed? He cleanses us through his sacrifice. Think of the ways that the first disciples preached about Jesus in the book of Acts. How they tied the work of Jesus, his cross, and his resurrection to the forgiveness of sins. I'll give you one example. Acts 5, 30 through 32. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Over and over again, Peter, Paul, they're preaching the gospel, sometimes to the Jews, sometimes to the Gentiles, and they're saying, this Jesus, he is the son of God, he is the Messiah, and he proved it by raising from the dead. And now that he is raised, never to see corruption again, if we trust in Jesus, our bodies will not see corruption forever. We experience it now, uh, in the time before the second coming, but just as Jesus was raised, again, he's the first fruits, he's the first fruits of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. If we trust in him, we have the promise that we too will be raised, our bodies, no matter what condition they are in right now. So he heals him, and he heals us when we trust his promise. He assures us of that through his death and his resurrection. So he had the man's request answered positively. Jesus healed him, cleansed him, restores him. But then Jesus gives a warning. Verses 43 and 44. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. As I thought about this, I wondered if he was like the demoniac who was healed, who wanted to stay with Jesus. He had suffered 
the, the terrors and the difficulties of being demon-possessed, and then we see him sitting quietly and in his right mind, and <clears throat> he wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus says, no, stay here and tell, tell your family everything that I have done for you. We don't know exactly what we had in, he had in mind, although we see what he does next, but he charged him. He says, go to the priests, offer for your cleansing. So Jesus' instructions were part of bringing him fully back into the community. Calvin points this out. I, don't, I won't read the whole quote to you, but he said, one of the purposes of God, <clears throat> of Jesus specifically in telling him to go to the priest was that he would be a witness to them. Well, we see that clearly in the text. But because he would be examined by the priest, he would then be cleared. It's like, you're free to move about the cabin. You're free to move about through all the people. But we see he skipped that step. But we see Jesus' purpose in it. it made, I read that and that made sense to me. That before he would go out and spread the word, he was to go to the priest and the priest was going to clear him so that he could be among all the people. Not to mention the witness that that would be. Again, Jesus really is the lawgiver, but for this period of time, he's under the law. We think of Galatians. He, he, even though he, he's God, he, he humbled himself and was under the law. He's keeping, fulfilling the law all the way through. And he's saying, go show the priest. He's sticking to the word. He's, he's sticking to the law of Moses. And the proof that that would be to the priest was this. I do things the right way. I do things the way that God said I should do it. And even if they had questions about him, they could say, well, he healed somebody and he did things the right way. And then he was also, this was to be a witness to the rest of the community. He could say, yes, Jesus healed me. He told me to go to the priest. The priest cleared me. And now I am fully restored. It sounds like this kind of thing didn't happen very often in Israel at this time. It would have been pretty remarkable. But we see, so the role of the priest, they did many things, but one of their things was to judge if a person, not only if they had leprosy, but if they had been healed by, if, if they had been healed of leprosy. They didn't have the power to heal anyone themselves, but Jesus has the power to heal. And he's showing that he is greater than Moses and greater than the priest, even though he's following the Mosaic law, or telling him to follow the Mosaic law, he's greater than Moses and the priest. In Jesus, God has come to heal and to save just as he promised. And he is not merely a miracle worker, but he is the son of God, and that's one of the reasons also why Jesus had a plan for him to go to the priest first. <clears throat> But finally, look with me at the man's response, verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. The word is preach. 
Same word earlier in the chapter about Jesus preaching the kingdom of God. Same word used speaking about John the Baptist and how he preached. But he began to talk freely about it and so spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. He responds to the healing with zeal and with excitement, but not obedience to Jesus' word. He should have responded with obedience, enjoying all the blessings that would have come from it. As I mentioned, the testimony to the priests, the full inclusion back into the community. Jesus would have been able to move more freely and openly through the towns. Again, think of the way this, this uh, interaction happened. Jesus was in a town and the man saw him and he came and fell at his feet. That would have been able or would have been able to continue to happen more easily. But as a result, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Again, Calvin says we have the, the tendency to focus on the miraculous. Again, if, if someone started doing miracles around here, it would get a lot of attention. And in the passage previous to Jesus cleanses a leper, it says very clearly about how Jesus was preaching and how he was healing. And those were united together, never separated. And it's the same way for us. Jesus is teaching us and he's healing us. He's healing our deepest need, our, our spiritual separation, our sin. But because the man didn't follow the plan, Jesus is in these desolate places. It's similar to the way that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden into the wilderness. And then later, Israel's wilderness wanderings. And then later, exile from the promised land. But these desolate places are not hopeless places. Why? Because Jesus is there. We see earlier in this chapter that Jesus intentionally withdrew to desolate places to pray. Imagine pe people coming to you from all over the place. A lot of requests. Jesus is relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. His baptism remains on him. And he goes out. But he's, he's praying. He's praying to his father, doing ministry his father's way, according to his father's will. And throughout his life, he's often withdrawing to pray to spend time with his father. Again, how much more do we need to withdraw often? In the morning, throughout the day, at the end of the day, to say, Father, I love you. Thank you for sending Jesus to me. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. Help me not to be that zealous, excited, healed man who spreads the word but doesn't really do it God's way. Sometimes we're, we have so much zeal, but it's for the physical only. People want cleansing, as I mentioned earlier. People want healing, but it's often just skin deep. Uh, sometimes we ignore or marginalize obedience to God's will because we want to do things our way. 
But if we listen carefully, we'll hear that he, and experience that he heals us and sends us on his way as his witnesses. One commentary I read said, Jesus told this man to stay quiet and he preached the word everywhere. Jesus tells us to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, but often we remain quiet when we shouldn't. This is not about annoying people. This is not about being obnoxious. Um, this week, uh, week I met with some folks and uh, they were telling me about a Christian, a gentleman who really walked the walk and talked the talk, and how refreshing it was that this man was outspoken in his faith, but yet his life also showed it. How refreshing it is. And God wants us to be like that. Eager to serve, either eager to do what's right, but then as God gives us the opportunity to share his word, and we can be like Jesus, depending upon the Holy Spirit, asking him for wisdom. Some situations are so confusing or overwhelming, we don't know what to do. And we can just say out loud or in our hearts, Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do. But help me to know what to say. Help me to be a good listener. Help me to be what this person needs right now. We can point others to Jesus by demonstrating his compassion and using our power to heal and restore. We don't heal people the way that Jesus did just by a touch. But we can shake hands. We can embrace. Sometimes we've just been isolated, and when someone reaches out in warmth and with the love of Jesus in their heart, it's a testimony, it's a witness to the love of Jesus here and now. But we do pray for healing. For those of us who are in the medical profession or... Are, are good with medicine. These, these are healing agents that God uses today. And we can thank God for that. Many of us in this room have experienced the wonder and the amazing things of God's common grace in medicine. And maybe God would prompt some of us to minister to people in that way, that we can heal that way. But we can point to Jesus as the ultimate healer. So we had the man humbly coming to Jesus. Waiting to hear what he had to say. Jesus responding positively and cleansing him. Jesus warning him and giving him instructions about how to be the witness. And then his response. But God had mercy on him anyway. He knew what he was going to do. But he still had mercy on him. So as we wrap up here, think about this. First of all, I think, I, I think there's two kinds of people in this world. People who think that they're too good for Jesus or that they're not good enough. That their sin is so great that even Jesus can't save or forgive. And the answer to both people is to humble yourself. If you think you're too good, if you're those 65% that, that think you're basically good, look again at the scripture. Look again at your own life. You have not lived up to that perfect righteous standard that God has for us. But then none of us is so bad that God can't forgive and heal. He healed this man who was an outcast, brought him in. Believe that he has compassion and power 
to heal your deepest malady, which is your sin and my sin. Jesus is here with a heart of compassion and the power to heal you completely, deeply, deeper than a physical healing. Will you come to him? Will you ask him to help you surrender your way to his way? And then are you following God's plan as his witness? Or have you added other things to what you're witnessing about? Is it all about your good life? Was Jesus just the missing ingredient to all your hopes and dreams being fulfilled? No. We fit into Jesus' plan. It's a good plan. He gives us everything that we need. But we surrender to him because he knows what's best for us. He's compassionate, he's powerful, and we can entrust ourselves to him. Because Jesus cleansed the leper, we can trust that he will cleanse us. Let's pray now. Jesus, how wonderful you are interacting with us, interacting with this man, healing him, restoring him. And through that interaction, we see that you will heal and restore us as we come to you. We ask that you would give us the faith to believe. Help us, Lord, to surrender our will. However you would have us be your witnesses, maybe it's different than what we're doing right now. Thank you that your plan is good, that your plan is best, and that you are working in our lives and in this world. And we look forward to being fully, fully restored to you in the new heavens and the new earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look up and receive God's blessing from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.